best things and things before we go into it, that you would have your way with us. That we would be yielded and submitted to you. Oh, that we might go through this year in a yielded way. Oh, that you might have your way in every part of our life. That we would hold nothing back. So I pray it's with that attitude that we look so uh, we had the privilege of doing a seminar yesterday at districts. I proposed, um, some of you know that uh, the last couple of years I've done a, a seminar on same-sex attraction. Um, this is the district youth conference. It was like 4,000 young people. Uh, that uh, go to Green Bay and they have the weekend and they get to choose what seminars they want to attend. Uh, this year I propose doing one on uh, gender dysphoria, which would be uh, you know, transgender issues, the feeling of distress that some people feel that they feel like they're in the wrong body. And so um, they put me in uh, one of the one of the ballrooms, which they say holds 400 people. I, I don't think it had that many chairs, as far as I was looking at, kind of counting. Um, it's a little bit less than that, but. Uh, however many hundred were in there, um, both seminars were just full to overflowing with young people and adults that were um, wanting to hear more on that topic. And it uh, went really well. Uh, unfortunately, there's no voice amplification there, so in a big room like that, I had to project. So my voice is a little iffy today. Um, <clears throat> but uh, some of the conversations afterwards is just, just incredible. Uh, one of the ones that stands out to me uh, the most is a young woman that I prayed for earlier. Uh, she didn't advertise this to me at first, but we were talking, and, and she, she let me know that she was considering becoming a Christian. She was not sure. She's been in the youth group for a while. There's some women in, in, in the church that are speaking into her life. Uh, and, and then she finally said, well, here's the issue. Here's why I came to your seminar. She's like, I'm, I'm a lesbian, and I need to, I need to figure that out. And, uh, I just need to know, if I follow Christ, do I have to leave that? And, and so we talked about that. What does that look like? And, and what does Christ call it? The cost of discipleship. I mean, how frequently do we forget to actually talk to people about, you know, the cost of following Christ? And yes, it's worth it. And yes, He loves you. But there's things to leave behind to take your steps to Christ. And so we, we talked about that. I gave her... Uh, a book that I think would be helpful um, of someone that has, you know, actually ha- had to make that same decision. You know, there's other people. You're not alone in this. And uh, then I prayed for her, and as as I was praying, I, I could hear her crying, and uh, got done praying, and I said, please, you know, keep talking to me. If there's this woman in your life that's speaking into your life, an older woman in the church, you got you got to talk to her more about this, you know, and, and keep that conversation going. So, um. That was probably one of the ones that impacted me the most. Um, but there were others as well that were <clears throat> just very interesting. Uh, and uh, I could talk later, but um, just God's doing really cool things there and just really um, honored to be able to be a part of it um, at, a, at a youth conference like that with so many people and, and they're hungry. Some of you are hungry for what does God's word say about what our culture is doing with right now. So, um, all right, so back to what we're doing this morning. And by the way, I may, I may do, I may do that seminar sometime here. Maybe I think it'd be good for us to do it. 
Um, I, I really wasn't prepared in thinking about what do we do with the kids that are here and is that a good thing for everybody. Um, but I think it's a good thing for us to talk about. So <clears throat> I may do that at some point in the future. Um, all right, so wanting to get into today, I am doing a message on mission. I think I always try to do in January right away, like what are we here for as the church? Like, like why did God put us here in Three Lakes? What's going on? Um, and I kind of wanted to start, I read an interesting article this last week um, on uh, this study that was done, I think it was done in Great Britain, on uh, people's busyness. And <clears throat> what, the, what the authors of this uh, article and the, and, and the people that did this research, what their point was, was um, we tend to equate busyness with status, uh, with wealth. And so when we talk about how busy we are, we want people to think more of us and think we've really got it going, and we are important, and we have money. And, and, and they were showing that, and I thought, isn't that how it is? You know, that, that in this society, in this culture, busyness makes me feel good, even though, in other sense, it makes me feel bad because it, it's driving me crazy and I'm running around. So somehow it does both of those things. Now I realize we in the Northwoods, we have this extra blessing of of living in this beautiful area of the country, and we enjoy a lot. I think recreation is important to a lot of us as well. And so I think we would add another piece to that, and we would talk about our recreation as status, don't you think? It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, but in any case, whether it's busyness with work or, or recreation, which I don't know if I call busyness at all, but, but whether it's work, recreation, stuff going on, sports we're attending, whatever it is, I think we fill our time pretty easily, don't we? There's not a lot of downtime left. And I think it's with that kind of mentality that the first chapter of Haggai was written. It's written to a busy people that just don't have time for maybe some other things that the Lord wants for their life. So would you turn to the book of Haggai? Maybe it's an odd choice for a uh, a sermon on mission uh, as, as we enter this new year. But I think it's going to make sense uh, at some point in the middle of this sermon. It's all going to come together, hopefully. So uh, turn to Haggai chapter 1. And I'll give you a little bit of background as you go there. Uh, the Jewish people are a people that when they disobey God, God would send other nations, other armies to come in and conquer them. And we call that time a time of exile. You know, that the people would be moved away from their land. Kind of a strategic thing for the conquering army to move people out, to take the best and the brightest and just say, we're going to pick you up and put you over here. Kind of like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like, let's take your best people and let's make them work for us instead of work for the, the home country. That's a strategy that they would do. Uh, this is the time where exiles are being returned to the land. It's a time of Cyrus being in power. Uh, in Babylon, and he returned 40,000 Israelites back to their land under the direction of Zerubbabel. He was the leader of them. And when they got back, they had the task of rebuilding uh, uh, Israel, rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, which was in ruins. They had an enormous task, rebuilding their homes. Everything is starting over fresh. But 40,000 people are now back, and they're starting this out. But the interesting thing is, where Haggai picks up is 
18 years after their return, and things are not good. I mean, you'd think this amazing return, everybody would be excited and think life is good, we're back home, we're not exiles anymore, but life is not good. There's spiritual apathy. There's crop failure. People have rebuilt their homes, but they have not rebuilt the temple of God. And with that, we pick it up in Haggai 1. So hopefully you're there by now, and and now you have a little bit of background just to start reading this. This is it, Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, remember he's the leader, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourself to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy on his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. And we'll pause there and just kind of let those words sink in. I call your attention to a few places um, of what we're talking about today. Um, as I was reading off of my notes, I'm going to find the place in my Bible. Here we are. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to call your attention, first of all, to verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Listen to what's going on. God is quoting His people. It's like, you're telling me it's not time yet. You're telling me you don't have the time to rebuild the temple. Now remember, this is Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have this advantage, right? The church is a little more hardy. It can meet in people's homes. The Spirit of God lives in us, right? But but this is Old Testament time. And at that point, the temple is the center of worship for the people. And so the center of their spiritual life, the center of worship, They don't have Bibles on their phones and Bibles in all their homes. They have to go to the temple to hear the Word of God proclaimed and to be read. And the place where that should be happening has not been rebuilt, and it's been 18 years. Their homes are paneled. The temple is not. And the people say, it's not time yet. We're holding off. We don't have time for this. We're busy. Our crops are failing. We're busy. We don't have enough money. We're busy. We just don't have enough yet to put our time into these spiritual 
worshipful things. I don't have time for the Lord's work. I don't have time for the Lord's mission. There's too much going on in my life right now. That sounds familiar at all? I don't know. I don't know. But this is how the Lord responds to His people. I'll call you to verse 5. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Literally, the Hebrew makes it sound like this. Set your heart to your ways. Set your heart to your ways. Think about what you're doing. It's like God is saying, how's that working for you? Be totally focused on you and what's going on in your life, what's going on in your family, your work, your stuff, and and, and not attending to the mission of God, the purposes of God, the worship of God. How's that working out for you? I love to say this to people who aren't in church, but they're not here today, so they can't hear me say it. So, um, you know, (laughs) maybe you tell them to listen to this. I, I don't know. I don't know. But God would say, how's it working for you? Set your heart to your ways. Did you notice that when you get money, it doesn't ever seem to stay there? It's like your purse has holes in it. This is God's sense of humor, right? You know, it's like you can't keep control of your money. It's like, did you notice that when you planted your crops, that the harvest didn't go well? He's like, well, think about it. Think what's going on there. I am the one that's in charge of crops. I'm the one that's in charge of the weather. I caused this to happen. I'm the Lord. Is life not working out for you? Now, we got to be careful with that, of course. Because, um, and, and I'm going to do a series on Job this year, starting at the end of this month. I'm very excited about that. But, but one of the messages of Job is, just because life is hard doesn't mean God is not, God has taken away his blessing. God's not with you. you know, there's, there's a good message there. But here, God is saying, just look at your priorities. Look how mixed up things are. And I'm trying to get your attention. Think about it that way. God's trying to get your attention. And He's using things in your life, circumstances, and those circumstances are trying to wake you up and say, how's your life working out for you? How's it going? Because God uses those circumstances to get our attention to shake us up a little bit and cause us to re-evaluate. How else will He get our attention if not to change the things around us in our life? I would hope maybe the Word of God would also be one of those places where you'd read the Word and say, oh yeah, I need to change some things, right? And so he sends a prophet. He sends a word from the Lord. And I think that's the way it is with us, right? Like, we look at our circumstances and we compare it to what this book says. And things start to add up, don't they? As we compare life with the word. And that's what he does. He sends Haggai with a word from the Lord. Look at your life. Compare it. Compare it to what I'm saying right now. Things aren't working for you. You're not on mission at all. So, um, verse 8. That's the second place I'll call your attention to. The third place I'll call your attention to this morning. God says, Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. He's very clear with what they need to do. It's not like, I wonder what God wants for my life. He's like, go to the mountains, get some wood, Bring it back and start building. It's been 18 years. Your houses are done. You're sleeping well at night. Mine's in ruins. The center of your worship, the center of your life, it's not happening. And you need to go and you need to fix that. And I'm telling you how to do it. Go out and get some wood and start building. This is what the people do. Would you pick it up in um, 
verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. It's so interesting, you know, like all these like all these titles and names, like, oh, it's like a tongue twister getting it out, right? Um, but all the people are named. The date is actually given. You can like look up the date. Um, I wrote down the date, you know, the day that Haggai came to the people was August 29th, 520 BC. You know, it's like August 29th, mark it down. You know, this is the day Haggai came and told the people, God is not happy with what's going on here. You need to build this house. And then I love their responses. I see two things here. Um, it says in verse uh, 12, they feared the Lord and then they began, you know, working on the temple. So I see the response and I think it's like us too. But there's always this double response when we respond to God's word. It's like, uh, my heart, my heart has to respond with submitting to, fearing the Lord. God has said this. It's important. I need to do it. And then your hands get involved and you start doing what he's supposed to do. Isn't that how it is? God grabs a hold of my heart and then I start getting active in what he has told me to do. Now, this church has been built and finished since the 1980s. I don't know the date it was done. I bet one of you do. Maybe someone shouted out. Maybe not. Um, but as dates go and as buildings go, we're doing pretty good, right? we got a place to worship, and, and you're all here. So we can't just say, hey, guy, one, we're done. We built this building. God has a place. I like the wood in this room. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it came from the mountains, but, you know, it's okay. It's good. But I think there's another message for us that pushes us into the mission of God the way these people were pushed propelled into the mission of God by Hagar. And I think it's like this. It's really simple. That people are the house of God. People are the house of God. The church is the house of God. So if this building ever went away and all of you people started meeting in homes, we'd still have a church here. The people are the house of God. Let me show you a few passages. I know a lot of you are shaking your head with me and you know this to be true. But I just want to show you a few places. Hebrews 2. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Next verse. 1 Peter 2.5 you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Next verse. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you, your physical body? Next verse. 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
we Gentiles are the people of God and we're actually the temple. We're the building that God is building. I think that's the last verse I have. Maybe. I got one more, I think, right? One more. Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets like Haggai, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, your structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you're also being built, there's the word again, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I see a lot of building language. I see a lot of construction language here. Build. Build. You're a house. You're a temple. And we know they met in people's homes. This organic, church growing, sharing, come to my house, I want to talk about Jesus, worshiping together. We have a big house, but we are the house. We are the people of God. And knowing that then, God's mission to us is build the house. Build God's house. And it doesn't refer to this, it refers to us. I mean, this is involved in it. It's nice to have a, a, a house, and we've done renovations in this house. We've done things to this house, but we're the house. The point is for us to grow as people. It's never about this. It's always about this. So, that won't sound well on the internet, by the way. Someone listen to it. I just pointed to the church, and then I pointed to us. Okay, that was that was it. Okay, that would not make any sense. What about this? It's about this. He's losing his mind. Okay. Um, what are some implications? What are some implications for our mission then? What, can, what do I want to tell you about our mission in light of Haggai chapter 1? And it's really simple. It's going to be right there on the surface of it. I hope it encourages you today. Our mission is to build people. That's what we're here for. So, so I'm not about building fun club. I'm about building kids. I'm not about building small groups. I'm about building people. I'm not about building uh, common ground. We're about building women. I'm not about building uh, uh, the Northman's Fellowship. I'm about building men. Does it make sense? Well, it's not about the program. It's not about the place we meet. It's about investing in people. Programs can come and go. They can change their shape and form. We can't have sacred cows here. Now someone's going to be worried I'm going to cut their ministry, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm cutting your ministry. But as I talk about the budget this year, who knows? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, we, we were trying to expand ministry. I mean, that was the point of hiring Pastor Ian, for instance, and doing this parenting summit. Let's expand our influence to parents. Let's make it better and bigger and invite fun club families in. And let's just see what happens. I can't, I can't uh, say that everything's going to make us be a success. But I know it's all about building into and so I'd ask you, is there somebody that you're building into? That you're building into? Now maybe your mind goes to a program you're involved in. And that, that's really good. Maybe you're a small group leader. Maybe you work at Fun Club. Maybe you're the youth ministry volunteer. You know, whatever it is. You're building into people. You're not just the program person. You're the people person. I'd ask you though, on an interpersonal level though also, who are you building? Who are you building? And I'm not even just talking about church people. 
I'm talking about people who don't know Jesus yet. Because disciple-making starts before someone gives their life to Christ. That's when it starts. It doesn't start, I used to always think, making disciples starts when someone gives their life to Christ, but it's actually before that, isn't it? It's you sharing and talking and, and, and shining light into people's life. It starts way before that. You're building people before they ever even give their life to Christ. Uh, Bible talks about planting seeds, right? You're planting seeds. So, my encouragement to you is, yes, I want to have volunteers for our programs. I, I think that's important, and I hope that our programs build people. If we don't, we have to reevaluate them. And I don't have any on the chopping block on my mind right now, but that's, I just want you to know that. But I also want you to say, is there somebody that I'm building into? The person that I'm going to say, can I do coffee with you this week? maybe twice a month, and just talk about life? And, and if they're a believer, maybe you say, can we just talk about the Bible together a couple times a month? Who's building into your life? Do you have somebody? I've got people. Do you have people? Because I think this is what we're called to, build people. And some of that is the programs of the church, and some of it is just the organic, go and do like they did back then. It's just, Go, talk, share, make an appointment with somebody. Who at work needs Jesus? Who's on your mind? Build them. That's it. And that's going to be hard to measure. Maybe we'll hear about it if someone ends up attending the church or you give a testimony in cross training or something like that. But but I can track numbers in programs like how many came to play group this but I don't necessarily know who you're all meeting with, but I know I want you to do it. I do know that. And if you have a brilliant way for me to track it, I'll, I'll listen to you. But I know I want it to happen. Who are you building? Because this is what we call them. Don't have time for that. Come here, Haggai. Hey, yeah. um, oh, here we go. I almost forgot my favorite illustration of this building people thing. Um, so a group of guys goes out deer hunting one weekend. Oh, it's going to be good. Um, four of them. And four of them go out. And uh, they decide to split up for the day, right? They're splitting up for the day. And uh, 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 one group comes back, and, and he comes back solo instead of two. Just one guy comes back solo. He, he, he's dragging the, he's got the eight-point buck he's bringing back with him. And he is straining under its weight. And he brings it back in. And the other two buddies are already back at the cabin, and they're like, what? what? Where, where's Harry? Where, where, where's your buddy, you know? And he's like, oh, Harry, he's a couple miles back on the trail. I, I, I'm not sure what happened. Maybe it was a stroke or something, but he's a couple miles back. What? You, you left Harry, and you, and, and you brought the buck back with you? And the hunter said, yeah, it was a tough call, but I figured no one's going to steal him. Yes. Uh we are not about the hunt. We are about the people. We're about the people. <laughs> okay, sorry. I almost forgot to say that. That was, yeah, sorry. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. I know you're going to tell that on your next deer hunt. <laughs> I know, right? Um, number two, uh, implications of mission here. Uh, let's just say this. I'm going to put it out there. Our, our mission is more important than your other pursuits. Can you escape that when you look at Haggai 1? 
Can anybody get away from that? When God says, you built yourself a paneled house and my house is in ruins? Uh-oh. Like, you planted your crops and made sure you were taken care of, but you didn't take care of my worship and my place. You, you, you've done other things and you've neglected the mission of God. I can't escape that message in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, your mission is more important than other pursuits in your life, things that you even love to do. The mission is more important. And yes, that sounds self-serving because I'm a pastor, right? So of course I'm going to say that. But Haggai 1 says it. The Lord God Almighty says it. And I'm just telling you that. Our mission on the back of your bulletin is to connect people to God through Jesus Christ. We want to connect people to God. We want to evangelize. Our mission is to grow to be like Christ. Why we do small groups and various ministries to disciple people. Small group plans are coming up, by the way. Be watching for that. Uh, that is why uh, we serve other people. We have serving ministries, and 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 a lot of you are involved in the community, not even through a ministry of the church, but just like in the community serving people. Awesome. It doesn't always have to be church program, does it? Right. Totally agree with that. We have to be on mission, and the mission is more important than other pursuits. But I'd also say this, and even though I didn't put this as my point, I think it's absolutely true. Often the mission intersects. It intersects with our other pursuits, doesn't it? You know, so it doesn't mean don't go to work today. It means go to work on mission, right? Shine your light. Do your good deeds, right? And let them glorify the Father in heaven. Somehow my loves, my desires, my pursuits can intersect with the mission of God. I don't have to divide them up and parse them and pull it all apart. I could actually put it together if I'm intentional about it. Now, yes, I talked about busyness earlier. It does probably mean in some places we do need to pull back with activities that don't really matter. I understand that. And I'm telling you, that's part of it. But part of it would also be creatively bringing mission in to what you're currently doing. Our mission is more important than other pursuits. Um, I, uh, a woman who wrote a book on prayer called Dorothy Haskins, she tells a story about a woman who was a well-known violinist. And they said, what is the secret to mastering the violin? And the woman said, I have two words. This is my secret to mastering the violin. Two words are planned neglect. Planned neglect. Sounds like date night in the Soya house, right? Um, planned neglect. Um, sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was bad. I didn't mean to say that. Um, she says, there, I quote her, There are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, I straightened the room, I dusted, I did whatever seemed necessary. Uh, when I finished my work, then I returned to my violin track, or returned to it. Uh, that system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin, so I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Maybe that's just how you should look at your devotional life to start, right? I'm putting aside everything else. Maybe brush your teeth. I'm putting aside everything else, and I'm going to focus in on God in the first part of my day. I'm starting things out right. I'm praying. Planned neglect. And then I'll make my bed. And then I'll eat my breakfast or whatever else. I know coffee is the right first one, right? I, I forgot about that. But, you know, for everybody else. Um, 
plan to bless. Number three, and finally, I love this. Maybe you saw this in Haggai, at the end of Haggai. The Holy Spirit comes amongst his people. Um, check this out. They obeyed the voice. That's verse 12. People feared the Lord. And um, then it says, verse 13, let's see, Haggai gave this message from God to the people. I am with you. And then verse 14, here it is. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. I'd love you to pray that for me, by the way, and your board members. Would you just pray that God stirs us up, stir up the leaders? That's what we want. Um, and then it says, the, uh, the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. So not only were the leaders stirred up, but everybody was stirred up. The spirit was on everybody, moving them to accomplish the mission and rebuild the temple. The whole remnant, the how many did I say? 40,000 people were all stirred up. What if God stirred up everybody that's part of this church? What if he stirred up every church in the Northwoods? What would that look like? And we can say, we can say our mission is strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this alone. We're doing it with God's people. We're doing it with God. He will stir you up. If you don't have motivation right now, you ask for it. If you don't have strength, you don't have words, you ask for them. He will stir you up. And I pray that he stirs up this church. This year, and do everything he wants for us. I held back a little bit on talking vision. We'll talk vision in future weeks and what do I, what things I think are on the horizon. I just wanted to talk mission today and get you thinking. You know, the vision might change. There might be new things for us, but the mission stays the same, doesn't it? Connect people to God. Grow to be like Christ. Serve others. The mission doesn't change. As I've said before, and I think I heard this from another another pastor, one-known pastor. Our mission is, is our promise to the world. It's our promise to the world. This is what we're going to do. It's on every bulletin. Let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, um, would you help us build the house? Would you help us invest in people? And I'm thinking particularly of those people that you'd want us to build into on a one-on-one or one-on-two relationship. That you'd put people's faces in our minds right now, even now. Who are those people we should be building into? And who's building into us? Who, who gets to speak into our lives? What people do we meet with for mutual encouragement? I pray you give us somebody that we would be built. I pray that our church this year stays on mission and doesn't get bogged down with trivial matters. Thank you for protecting us. We ask for more. I pray you stir our hearts Do all that you have planned for this community. Lord Jesus' name we pray.